0: Alright, good morning. Great to see everyone here this morning. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect Church, and we want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, If it's your very first time, a special welcome to you. We hope you enjoy the morning, uh, that you'll come back and visit us again. Now, last Sunday, I forgot to do something. I'm going to do it this morning, because uh, last Sunday was a uh, very uh, special day for some folks here, because uh, the day before... Washington Middle School, uh, the baseball team won state. Is that right? And was that saying the right thing? So, yeah. Now my kids got a Central, that's not why I forgot, I did genuinely <laughs> forget last week, so uh, I am thrilled for you, I know we've got a few of the baseball players here, I know we've got a lot of WMS families here, so great job guys, I know that was a uh, a big achievement for you, so well done, we're proud of you all. Um, so yeah, like Justin said, we're in this uh, series, it just started last week, so we're going to catch you up, so you've not missed much, We'll uh, we'll catch up on where we were at. But um, before we just jump into it, I wanted to kind of catch you up from last week. So I didn't uh, grow up watching this show. It was a little bit before my time, but maybe some of you remember the show Lassie. Okay, anyone remember Lassie? It was a great show. It was about a a little boy, Timmy, who had this uh, border collie. Um, Lassie was her name, and she was a wonderful dog. And um, even though I didn't grow up watching this show, I still kind of remember it. And I feel like in my head, there's this one scene that everyone knows from Lassie. And it's the time when Timmy's in trouble. I think Timmy had found himself at the bottom of a well, and uh, it was looking very scary. But fortunately, Lassie came to the rescue. Lassie comes running up to Timmy's dad. Lassie starts barking. And Timmy's dad's like, Lassie, what is it? And Lassie barks some more. It's Timmy. And Lassie barks some more. He's, he's in trouble. And Lassie barks a little bit more. He's in the bottom of a well. And Lassie barks a little bit more. And then T- Timmy's dad jumps on the horse and follows Lassie off and uh, rescues the day. What an amazing dog that was. There's so much could be communicated by just one bark. But that was Lassie. He was incredible. So, um, so last week, if you were here, Joseph was at the bottom of a well. That's where we left him last week. So this morning, uh, Lassie's going to come and let us know that Joseph has, we haven't forgotten him, that he's in that well, and we're going to find out this morning uh, how he found himself in the bottom of a well and what happened next. So one of my friends, he came up to me after service last week, and, and we literally did. We ended the part of the story in Joseph's life where he'd been thrown into the bottom of this well and uh, left for dead, and uh, this, this buddy of mine came up after service. He goes, I know what's going to happen. He said, it's going to rain, and it's going to rain, and he's just going to float to the top of the well. I said, no, that's absolutely not what happens. That's kind of a little bit like Noah, but that's another story altogether, so you're completely wrong. Um, So uh, I will tell you what happened, but here's a little hint, okay? The story of the life of Joseph can be found in Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible. It starts in Genesis 37. It goes all the way through to Genesis chapter 50." You are allowed to read that in the meantime, okay? It's not going to, it'll spoil some of it for you. You'll you'll know what's coming along, but I'm okay with that, okay? You don't have to wait for me to tell you what's going to happen. So if you want to go away and kind of get a little bit ahead of what's going to go on here, because the life of Joseph is amazing. It's this wonderful um, story of this man's life that uh, takes up uh, the largest part of Genesis of any one person. More than Moses, more than Noah, more than Abraham is the story of this great man, Joseph. But the amazing thing is, in these 13 chapters, we actually discover that even though at the very end of Joseph's life, we see God's um, hand upon his life, we see him being used by God to do some incredible things, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks. What got him there, what took him there, was a bit of a mess. Poor old Joseph, it just seemed there was one mess after another. But the reason I'm enjoying speaking about Joseph over these weeks is because, let's be honest, some of us, if we're not in a mess right now, we've either just come out of one, or we're just about to go into one. That's kind of how life is, isn't it? That's kind of how life is. That it just seems that, that sometimes these messes are our own doing. We make poor decisions, and we find ourselves in a mess. Sometimes it's nothing to do with us. Something happens. The economy changes. Something happens at work, and, and we find ourselves in a mess that had nothing to do with us. And, and maybe if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, when you're in the midst of that mess, you find yourself looking at God saying, hey, what's this about? I thought you and I were friends here. I thought we had this deal. I'll, I'll follow you, and, and from now on, everything will be great. So what's this mess about? But as we look at the life of Joseph, we're going to discover that even in the midst of the mess, God was at work in the life of Jude- Joseph Changing him and shaping him and making him into the man that he one day would become. Now, some of the mess kind of came about of Joseph's own doing. And here's why. So poor old Joseph, he was born into a little bit of a a dysfunctional family. That's what we discovered last week. The Joseph's family didn't really help um, the situation much. You see, Joseph was 17 years old. He was—that's uh, how old he was when we just, when we start to read about him in Genesis 37. And we discovered last week that Joseph was his dad's favorite. Okay, he had lots of brothers, but of all the brothers, Joseph was dad's favorite. And it wasn't just one of those things where it's like, you know, I've always, I feel like you treat him differently. I feel like he's the youngest. He always gets—I never got to do that when I was his age. Some of you siblings right now are looking to your left and your right, thinking that's true. He, I couldn't do that. And But this was a different kind of favoritism. Listen to the way uh, it's described here in Genesis. Genesis 37, verse 3. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So it wasn't just a feeling they had. It wasn't just, I feel like he likes Joseph better. He made this beautiful robe. We learned last week that the wearer of this robe, because of the way the sleeves were, um, he wouldn't have to work in the fields like his brothers. It, It kind of set him apart. So every time Joseph's brothers looked at Joseph and he was wearing this robe, it just screamed, I'm dad's favorite. Now, maybe some of you picture what this robe looked like. Uh, it's actually pretty cool because biblical archaeologists were able to uh, work in Egypt and dig up, and they were able to find a picture of Joseph in this robe. We'll, we'll throw it up here. There he is. That's, uh, <laughs> that is Joseph wearing that robe. Now, he looks a lot like Donny Osmond, I think, but, uh, but this is legit. I mean, they, they found this, and they you know, blew the sand off, and there it was, this picture of Joseph wearing that robe. So you picture it, the brothers every day wearing this robe. And and as if that wasn't enough, Joseph embellished this role. He loved being his dad's favorite. We learned last week that he was a a constant source of communication. Dad, guess what the brothers did wrong today? Guess what happened today? We learned last week that he had these dreams that that actually were God-inspired dreams. God was speaking to Joseph and and telling him what his future would look like. But rather than just keeping it in his heart and remembering it, he's like, guys, guess what? God spoke to me. I've had these dreams, and one day, all of you are going to bow down to me. Yes, you're going to bow down to me. I'll probably be wearing this robe at the time because I'm dad's favorite. I mean, you think of the, 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 what this is creating. So we're, we're not talking about just a little bit of unsettlement here amongst brothers. Listen to how bad this got. We read in Genesis 37, verse 18, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Like legitimately made plans to kill him. This is a little bit of sibling rivalry where, Dad, his foot's on my side of the car. Dad, tell him to stay on his side. This is, hey, we're going to kill this kid. He's gone too far. And that's where we got to last week. We we, we learned that Joseph was, was about to be killed by his brothers. But fortunately... Last week, we discovered that one of his brothers His name Reuben. um, He still had a little bit of compassion, a little bit of love for his brother. He couldn't bring himself to to kill his younger brother. So he suggested they throw him into this well. Uh, They called it a system. We throw him into this system because he had plans to go back and rescue Joseph later. This was Reuben's plan that um, he was going to secretly uh, go along with this, but then come back later to rescue him. So that's where we left off last week, if you weren't here. Timmy stuck at the bottom of the well. Uh, so let's see what happens next. Genesis 37, verse 25. It says, Then just as they were sitting down to eat, this is the brothers, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders. These were slave traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gileads down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelites, traders. So instead of leaving him there to die in this well, the brother's like, hey, we can kill two birds with one stone here. We can get rid of our problem, get rid of that little brother that drives us nuts. We can make a bit of money. We can profit from this. Imagine how Joseph must have felt in that moment, not only betrayed by his brothers, not only knowing that they were willing to kill him, now knowing they were willing to sell him off as a slave, send him off to this far land of Egypt and profit from it all. Unbeknownst to Joseph or his brothers, Reuben actually wasn't a part of this plan. In fact, he still had every intention of saving Joseph. Because listen to what it says in verse 29. It says, Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. He realized that he was going to try and save Joseph, and it was too late. So the this morning, we're actually going to focus on the next chapter of Joseph's life. We're going to see what happened next to Joseph. And I actually believe, because I've been praying a lot about this series, I believe that for some of us this morning, we're actually going to see some elements of what's happening in Joseph's life in our life. Maybe you'll leave a little encouraged this morning. Maybe you feel like you're in the the bottom of a pit right now and it can't get any worse, but you'll actually see God at work in Joseph's life. It'll give you some hope to see maybe God's in this. Maybe this is part of God's plan for my life, that even though I'm in this pit, God has a purpose. He hasn't forgotten me. But before we jump on to Joseph, I want to just um, spend a couple of seconds here, a couple of minutes, just with uh, this dysfunctional family that gets left behind. Because listen to what happened here. It says in verse 31, Then the brothers killed a young goat, and they dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Isn't this the robe that belongs to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said. It's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. You know, when I read these few verses, it would have been easy just to skip ahead and get back to Joseph. But I thought it was really interesting what the brothers did here. They didn't go to their dad and, and lie. They didn't go and tell him a story. They, they basically sent the robe back. They set up for this deception. And they almost let the dad draw the conclusion himself. They're like, hey, isn't this Joseph's robe? What do you think might have happened here? Dad says, ah, oh, I bet he was eaten by wild animals. It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a lot of these videos have popped up recently. I just love that um, cell phones and cameras are around as parents are raising children because so we get to see all that stuff that we never got to video our kids doing. There's one with a kid, he's got peanut butter all over his face and body. There's another one, they got crayons over the walls. And, and you see the parents going, how did this happen? And the kid's like, I don't know. Don't know what could have happened. Where'd all this peanut butter come from? Who knows? I mean, who knows? We got some friends and uh, they posted one recently and uh, it was of their daughter. This was a long time ago and she was a lot younger. She's got a brother and uh, they were asking her, how did that poop get in your brother's bed? She's saying, I don't know. I don't know where, where do you think it came from? I don't know. Where do you think the poop made it come from? Maybe it was the cat. That's what she says. I think it might have been the cat. And you hear the dad say, it looked a bit too big to be from a cat. And no joke, she goes, maybe it was a horse. <laughs> that was a... But it seems that in that moment, it just seemed easier to kind of like, I, I'm not lying right now because we're, we're telling some stories here. We're thinking about some stuff. You know, maybe this happened, maybe. But it's still just as deceptive, isn't it? It's still just as bad as telling the lie but it's almost like that's what the brothers did here. Rather than outright lie and tell, what they, tell their, their father what had happened, they kind of allow him to draw this conclusion and, and it's the father who says it. Jacob says, oh, he was obviously eaten by a wild animal and I wonder if the brothers, it says Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces and I, I just picture the brothers going, you know what, we hadn't thought of that. I bet that's what happened, dad. You're right, I bet that's what happened. Still just as deceptive, but the brothers just had this way of kind of allowing uh, themselves to maybe feel a little bit easier about the, the wrong they'd done by allowing dad to come to that conclusion. Here's what I found to be really interesting about that playing out. Because it says there, doesn't it, that, um, well, in fact, let's, let's, let's read it. It's in the next verse, in verses 34 and 35. It says, then Jacob, when he realized what had happened, when Jacob um, tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap, he mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave, mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. So man, poor Jacob, this is going to play out for years and years and years. His heart will be forever broken, assuming that his son is dead. So for years, at any point, his sons could tell him the truth and free him of this misery, but they allowed the deception to continue on. Do you know what I find fascinating? So, years before, before any of these sons were born, Jacob had a brother, Esau. And Esau was the rightful heir to his father's inheritance. And you can read about this earlier on in Genesis. Jacob came up with this plan where he deceived his brother out of his inheritance. And then he deceived his own father. His father was short-sighted, so he came up to him. And his, his brother had a lot more hair. as a hairy guy, apparently. So, so Jacob put this kind of animal fur around his arm. And he said to his dad, hey, dad, it's Esau. And he goes, is that you, son? He says, yes, it's me. And his dad reached out and touched his arm, and he believed it. So his dad put his blessing upon Jacob instead of Esau. So Jacob had this deception in his past, this deception that he probably lived with. I wonder, as he parented his own sons, if that played into his life. I wonder if he he drilled honesty, and I wonder if he drilled integrity into the life of his sons, or if deep down he knew that he was a product of deception, that maybe that influenced the way he raised his kids. It doesn't tell us there, I was just thinking about this as I was preparing for this message this week, that a man who, who was in an act of deception himself, is now mourning the, the death of his son through another act of deception. Now, here's what I'm saying this morning. I don't believe that if you're a parent here this morning, that if you made a mistake, if you've made mistakes in your past, that your, your kids will automatically make those mistakes. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that if you were raised in a home where, where there were certain behaviors and certain things that happened, that you are destined to just end up that way. I don't believe that's true either. But I do believe that whether we like it or not, we've grown up in different families, different environments, and it can affect who we are. And maybe you're, maybe you're here this morning and you've started a new family of your own. And the, and the truth is that um, you probably know this. Maybe you went through this in marriage counseling and the pastor sat down with you and said, now the Bible talks about you know, leaving your father and mother and starting a new family. There's even a, a, a verse that says you leave and cleave and that you leave your old family and start this new family. But let's be honest. Any of you here who have been married for any length of time, you brought that family with you. <laughs> Where, yeah, yeah, when you get married... You don't leave and cleave. You bring everything from that family into your relationship, which is actually, that's not a bad thing. That could be a great thing. You know, you've got wonderful families. You can bring that in. But what happens is you may have been raised differently than your spouse. So what that means is because of some things that happened to you in your family growing up, now you and your spouse are having to navigate through some things because, well, this is what life was like for me. Maybe it's like, well, we never used to talk about stuff in my family growing up. But in my family, we talked about everything. And now as husband and wife, you're trying to, trying to figure that out a little bit. Because one of you may be more kind of um, introverted. Maybe you, you don't like to talk about the stuff. The other one wants to just get everything out on the table. <laughs> and that can cause tension in a relationship. Now, that's not a bad thing. But I think when we're aware of it, we can say, God, help us. Don't let this become a problem in my relationship like Jacob, just because this was a problem when he was a child or when he was younger, and then it flows out into his family later in life. Don't let things that happened to me growing up, I don't want that to affect me now. And here's what we're going to discover as we continue looking at Joseph. That Joseph is a great example that um, he, things changed in Joseph's life. That despite the fact that he grew up in this, this somewhat dysfunctional family, and I guess if every one of us was honest, every one of us could tell stories of, of, of even the greatest of upbringings, the greatest of families, how there are still things today that maybe we handle differently because of the way we grew up. But Joseph's this great example that, that God had a plan for his life and was able to break some of those trends, break some of those habits. So let's jump back to Joseph right now. Because I want us to know this morning that whatever happens to you, whatever happens in your family growing up, whatever you're dealing with now as a couple, uh, because of maybe things that happened to you in your past, I get that that creates a mess. I get that for some of us, that kind of makes things just messed up. But we're going to discover as we continue to look at the life of Joseph, that no matter how messed up your family may seem at times, God still has a plan for you that he wants to accomplish in and through you. We used this phrase last week, and I love this phrase. It says, no matter what you have done or what has been done to you, you are never disqualified from living a life of promise. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you're never disqualified from living a life of promise. God's got this amazing plan for your life. He wants to do great things through you, and we're going to see that now as we jump back and look at Joseph. So let's see what's going on now with Joseph. Genesis 39.1, it says that Joseph, who's now a slave, was taken to Egypt by these Ishmaelite traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, so he's sold by these slave traders to a man named Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So basically, if you're gonna end up being a slave, this is the household you wanna be a slave in, okay? Joseph has found himself through no choice of his own, but I believe because God's hand was on his life, Suddenly, not just as a slave, but a slave in Potiphar's household. This incredible, influential household in Egypt. And as if that wasn't good enough, listen to this. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. You're actually going to hear this phrase a lot. It's amazing. It keeps cropping up through the life of Joseph. It keeps saying, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, I want to be careful here that we don't misunderstand what this is saying. Because it says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, on first reading, you could think, well, because the Lord was with him... He succeeded in everything he did. Well, that makes it sound like, well, I wonder if the Lord's with me. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> so we're going to find out this morning. Under everyone's chair is a sticker. And if there's no sticker under your chair, he's not with you. Okay, that's, you can check now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There are no stickers. So, <laughs> so right now, everyone's feeling pretty bummed. But uh, this isn't a unique situation for Joseph. I think this is actually saying the opposite. I think what it's saying is he succeeded in everything he did because the Lord was with him. I think Joseph understood this. I think Joseph started to realize that it seemed that through his life, things, you know, even when he was in a pit, suddenly he finds himself in Potiphar's household. He's succeeding, things are going well because the Lord was with him, because God hasn't forgotten me. God is still with me, He still has this plan for my life. I believe this morning the Lord is with you, even if you don't realize it. Maybe you're not even walking with him at the moment. Maybe he's not a part of your life, but you know what? He's very aware of your life. You may not be aware of him, but he's very aware of you. All of you. Listen to what it says in in Romans. Paul was writing here to the the people of Rome in, in the New Testament. He says this in Romans 8, 38 to 39. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you only hear one thing this morning before you leave, hear this, the Lord is with you. But Dave, if you knew, no, no, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But I've done this, nothing. But earlier on, I did, you know, I, when I was younger, I did. nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter what kind of dysfunctional family, no matter what kind of problems, whatever your past has held this morning, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And whether you realize it or not this morning, the Lord is with you, just like he was with Joseph. Joseph succeeded in everything he did because the Lord was with him. As we continue looking at Joseph's life, we're going to see a couple of things that that just keep occurring time and time again. We're going to see that this guy was just a natural born leader. That every time he was put in a leadership position, he led well. He did amazing things. We're going to discover here soon that he not only had this this gift of, of having dreams, he had this gift to interpret dreams. He was able to hear dreams and, and understand what they meant. These aren't the kind of crazy dreams because you've eaten too much cheese before you went to bed. I mean, these were like those, the dreams where God speaks to you. And he's like, no, I want you to know this is a message. And you wake up and you're like, whoa, I think God just spoke to me through a dream. But I've no idea what it meant. And Joseph had the ability to interpret these dreams. But these weren't skills he worked on. This was a gift that God gave him. And they played out in his life. So, Just last week, he was stuck in the bottom of a well. Listen to what happens this week. 39 verses 3 through 6. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Any of you here run a company or maybe you're a boss at a company or a manager somewhere and, and just one day, and you'd love to think it was your, your doing because you're an amazing hirer and you just know talent when you see it, but just suddenly you get this one person you're like, man, they just do everything right. And you give them more and more responsibility don't you? because you can't believe. And sometimes it's because there are people who are gifted at certain things. Joseph was a gifted leader. And Potiphar realized this, and we go from this guy who just, um, last week, but it was obviously more than weeks before, was at the bottom of a a well, um, abandoned by his brothers, to now being in one of the most influential households in all of Egypt, in one of the most influential, powerful positions a slave could be in this household, because God was with him. But here's the crazy thing I want you to understand this morning because God's with you. And God's given you gifts just like he gave Joseph gifts. And I wonder if Joseph sat back as a slave and looked around and thought, ha, check it out. Look at what I've done. But I don't think he did because I think Joseph understood that the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, he succeeded in everything he did. Do you know some people come up to me and say, all the time actually, I'll be in a store and I'll be buying something and uh, you know, I, I, I literally just start talking. You can see the person's looking at me and they're not listening to a word I say and I get done with the whole question and they just go, where are you from? That was an American accent, in case you didn't notice it. They say, uh, where are you from? Where are you from? They say in an English accent. I say, I'm from England. And then invariably they'll say something like, I love the way you talk. And I say, Thanks. Now, I've never once said, well, thank you. (laughs) I've been working on it all my life. (laughs) I'm really getting good at this. (laughs) This is a gift that I have developed. I mean, it's ridiculous. I just open my mouth and it comes out that way. (laughs) I say garage and it sounds like garage and people think that's cool. I don't know, but it's not like it's a skill. It's not like something I can take pride in. It's not something I can say, well, yeah, (laughs) thank you very much. And I believe that's how it is with these gifts that God has given us we'd be crazy to say, look at what a great leader I am. Because actually, even if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, I believe God still has put that gift in your life that you've seen him use over the years. Maybe it's administrative skills. Maybe you're like, why doesn't everyone... Just work administratively like this. It's just so obvious. But actually, no, you're wired that way. God's made you that way. Maybe it's an engineer's mind. I love that Caterpillar is in this community. And because of that, we've got some engineers who who live in this community, who attend this church. And I just love being around these guys. Because when I see them working on projects, I'm like, I never would have thought of that. But they just can't help it as an engineer. They're just all the time coming up with these creative ways of doing things. Maybe it's a musical talent, the ability to to teach and pour into the lives of of kids or students, the ability to sell, the ability to lead. Whatever it is, I believe that God put those gifts in you. Because just like the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. I believe the Lord is with you, whether you're aware of that or not. And those gifts that are in you, he's using and can use for his kingdom if you'll allow him to. But see, here's the thing. I believe that one day, one day all of us will die. One day all of us will die, we'll stand before God, and there will really only be a couple of things that matter. The first and the most important thing beyond anything else was our relationship with Jesus. Who we felt Jesus was. Was he just a good man? Was he real? Was he not real? Did he really live on earth? Did he do the things he said he did? Did he say the things he said he did? What does that have in in bearing in my life? A very famous verse in John 3, 16, we could probably all quote this in one form or another. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus, his only Son, so that any of us that believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you know, I honestly believe that one day we'll all stand before God. And we could say, Well, I was really good. I did a lot of good things. I gave to charity. I did this. I did this. I did. But none of that will matter because the only thing that's going to connect us with God is our relationship with Jesus. We'll stand and we'll say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on my behalf. I believe that he came and he lived a perfect life and he died on my behalf because I would never be good enough. So he led a perfect life. And because I believe in him... My relationship with God is complete. That's the first and foremost thing. But I also think, as we stand before God, we'll be, will be required to give an account for what we did with our lives and the gifts that He gave us. I, I think, for me to stand before God and say, "Well, God, you're going to be proud of me." See that church, Connect Church? Yeah, I did that. I helped get it going. I preached every Sunday. I did. It. And God's going to go. Do you know what, Dave? That was all me. That was that gift I gave you. That was that was When you got up there to speak, that wasn't you. That was that gift I gave you. I can't take any credit, just like I can't take credit for the way my accent sounds. It would be as foolish to say, but look at how well. Because God put that gift in me. God doesn't care about what I do. He cares about who I am. Who were you as a person? How do you treat other people? What was your character like? Those things that you can make a difference in. How did you behave? What did you do with that gift? Did you use it to build up your empire or did you use it to help show other people God? Did you help to to bring people? Did you make a difference in the community in which you lived? That gift that I gave you, did you use it to impact the lives of others and influence others? I think that's what's going on. I think that's what Joseph was learning in this period here is that in Potiphar's household, in Potiphar's household, he understood that the Lord was with him. And God was developing his character, and we're going to find out next week, uh, as we look at a specific situation that happened next in Potiphar's household, that his character was being developed. Let me close out with this last story this morning. I was talking recently to a, a friend of mine. I hadn't talked to him in a while, and he wants to meet uh, because he was just, there was some, just some stuff happening in his life, and he was just really going through some different things, through work, through family. It just seemed like everything. It was It was a mess. That's messed up. I mean, we could have said this about his current situation. And we'd never really talked in detail, so he started to share some of his story about jobs he'd had growing up and different careers he'd found himself. And, and he didn't tell me this, but the more I'm listening, the more I'm realizing, man, it sounds like everywhere you went, you just succeeded. It just sounds like you just were really good at what you did. And he told me about these different places he was at and saw success following him around different places. So he started to share about some things that have gone on recently with his employment, with his family. And it was just, he says, I'm in a really difficult place right now. I'm asking God a lot of questions. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? And without me even saying anything, he then said, you know what? It's, it's made me do, Dave. I find myself praying a lot more. I find myself saying, God... What do I need to do? How do I need to change? He said, God's like to show some things in my life, some ways I've, I've behaved that weren't right. And I'm, I'm trying to make that right now. I'm trying to change my behavior. And I've realized that as a husband, maybe, maybe there's some ways that I could have been a better husband. So now I'm trying. And it was just fascinating listening to this guy, knowing what I was going to speak on, realizing that in the middle of this mess, God was at work showing him areas of his life that he cared about, but that he wants to see grow and develop his character. There was no question that what he did was good, but he was starting to realize that maybe it's more important who I am than what I do. And maybe God's working on that in your life right now. Maybe God knows what he has for you in the future, the wonderful plans, that gift he's given you, he wants to use more than you could ever imagine in the future. But there are still some things in your character that will get you in trouble when you get to that point. Joseph was a 17-year-old spoiled boy. God had a lot of work to do in the life of Joseph for the plan he had for his life. And I think we could all agree this morning that sometimes the place that we see that change take place the most is at the bottom of the well through the difficult times, in the periods of slavery. And my challenge to you as I close this morning, we sang this song earlier, and it's, the chorus was, I will trust in you alone. That's a great song to sing when we're not in the pit. But maybe this morning you're in a difficult place. Maybe you're in slavery. Maybe something's going on. To still be able to say, God, I will trust in you alone. Because I believe that you're at work in my life right now. That you're with me. There's something you want to teach me in this moment. God, teach me at this time. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for these gifts that you've given every one of us. Maybe some of us just figured that we were born this way, but I believe, Lord, that you put each and every gift inside of us, Lord, that we are made unique because you love us and you create us all differently. And some of us have used these gifts to build a great career, to be very successful in what we do. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But God, I believe that to take credit for that would be as foolish as me taking credit for my accent. That that really, Lord, the only thing that we have any saying in our lives in who is who we are, not what we do. So help us, Lord, develop the parts of our life that we can develop, that we can take credit for. Those parts of our lives, that the way we treat other people, our hearts, our character, who we are. And Lord, help us to realize that sometimes for that part of our life to be developed, we may need to find ourselves in a pit at times, but it's in the pit that we learn more about who we are And that part of our life grows. So if we're in a pit this morning, Lord, I pray that we would trust you, turn to you, and follow you. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.